when you when you start laying out criteria for the day that you will start that is the day you'll fail or you'll never start you you have to begin even if it's humble and it's not the entire idea you just have to get going once you get going you'll immediately realize hey my original idea actually wasn't going to happen like that there's a lot of traditional things you can do there's so many tools out there to get started and uh, i just feel fortunate that we started when we did because right now starting would be a little bit tougher this is pittsburgh a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guests are Alan Mabry and Sean Bailey, co-founders of Upstream Coding. Guys, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be here. Alan, before we talk about the background and the history of Upstream Coding, first, for those that aren't as familiar with the company, can you talk a little bit about what Upstream Coding is? What services do you offer? Who are your customers, for example? So Upstream Coding is a program for adults to learn web development a number of different languages, all the way from HTML, all the way to React or Python. And our customers could be anyone who's just maybe just coming out of high school, all the way to someone wanting to potentially switch careers. We offer a couple other services um, through our platform and our, you know, uh, on the business side, but Upstream Coding Pittsburgh stays focused on education and making sure that anyone who wants to learn how to code Uh, has that opportunity. Alan, what's the promise or the value proposition that you're offering to the customer? So somebody takes courses or they learn from you, from your company, are they acquiring a skill set, like a specific skill set, for example, in in particular languages, programming languages? Are they building a portfolio, for example? What sorts of things are they getting out of the program? That's a good question. That's, That's one we get asked a lot. So what we generally tell everyone is that in this profession, in web development, your certifications are less important. The the most important thing is your portfolio. So in our web foundations program, we bring users from zero all the way to having a, a portfolio that they can share during an interview process with a company. Sean, I understand that you were the first or one of the first instructors to be hired by Upstream Coding before you became a co-founder. Can you talk about what initially interested you to join Upstream Coding? What attracted you to the business and to the business idea? And how has your position with Upstream Coding evolved since the start of the company? Yeah, so originally, I mean, I was hired as, uh, I believe, the first uh, instructor to teach a course uh, on weeknights to students to teach web development. And Ultimately, what uh, what attracted me to, to Upstream is the fact that everyone involved has chosen to be here. All of the students are here because they want to improve themselves, and they're they're paying and they're they're involved in our membership community because they want to improve themselves. And teaching motivated folks is incredibly gratifying, personally. Since that uh, first happened, uh, uh, oh gosh, a year and a half ago. 
I've gradually expanded my portfolio to include developing curriculum, uh, interacting with, uh, with students, uh, making sure that they are uh, really getting where they, they need to be throughout their membership uh, and supervising other instructors for our, our other courses. Alan, I believe that the idea, the initial idea for Upstream Coding started with you. Where were you at in your career when you came up with the idea for Upstream Coding and what need did you see in the market that you wanted to fill? I was in Los Angeles. We were moving back to Pittsburgh to start our family. And I had, on a whim, been asked by a coworker to speak at General Assembly in Santa Monica. It was a course about minimal viable products, MVPs. And I really knew nothing about General Assembly or the entire boot camp culture. And I showed up and I was immediately, you know, fell in love with this, this model which I wish existed when I got started in my career. So I basically helped mentor about 18 people that night and I was forever changed by it. I was, I was impressed that these people, like Sean said, were you know, self-motivated. They were in all walks of life, brought, brought strengths from different backgrounds and were excited about putting something out into the world that they created. And they just didn't know how to get started. So I helped them really you know, fine-tune those, uh, those big ideas down to, hey, how do we start this? And I would definitely say that that is one of my biggest strengths, helping bring new ideas into the market. Uh, as far as that market you mentioned, when, I, when we were moving back to Pittsburgh, um, I, I looked in the area and I didn't really see anything uh, that, that did that. I saw, I saw one organization that was doing it, uh, that was teaching a tech stack that I thought uh, was a bit antiquated and thought we could kind of fill a role of a more modern uh, tech stack and curriculum for that. And so you saw a need in the market, Alan, where you could offer either a different tech stack, as you call it, a different set of programming languages or skills. And you felt that uh, you could do that here in Pittsburgh in a way that that wasn't currently being done, that the market could be served in a different way. Yeah, that's correct. I, in addition, I, there's a big bar to entry on any sort of program like this. And one major thing we wanted to do was do our best to remove that, uh, which we ultimately achieved later, which I'm sure we'll get into. But going into this whole thing, we wanted to make sure that whatever we created, the most number of people could partake. Sean, could you tell us a little bit about your background? I believe that you recently graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, or you're going to graduate from the University of Pittsburgh. You've also done some work there uh, in computer science. Can you talk a little bit about your background and where you come from as you entered into this industry and and joined Upstream Coding? Yeah. So um, I learned how to build websites uh, when I was very, very young from a book that I took out from the library. And uh, I studied in, in undergrad uh, philosophy and, and computer science uh, in the hopes to sort of develop those skills. And I found that I had uh, a passion for teaching, for, for pedagogy, for the craft of, of teaching. I am yeah, currently finishing my, my undergrad degree uh, at, uh, at Pitt, and I'm also an, an instructor, a part-time instructor for uh, freshman computer science courses. That, in addition to some tutoring, uh, some one-on-one tutoring, uh, is what I was doing uh, when I first came to Upstream. It's kind of funny to hear you talk about your beginning with uh, learning from a book from a library. It kind of reminds me of myself when I was, I'm, I never went into technology, but I grew up in a different time frame because I'm, I'm older than you. But in the 1980s, when I was a kid, 
people were learning basic programming and I did the same thing. I kind of got like my hands on, this was before the internet as we know it in, in, the, in the mid 80s, mid 80s, late 80s. And I got a, my hands on a, um, on a basic programming book and my brother had like this old Commodore 64 or Commodore 128. Hey, you're on a Commodore 64? Yeah, yeah. And I learned how to do, I was, I was teaching myself, I was creating a questionnaire to sort of tease my brother, like that he had to walk through, I programmed it so that you answered specific questions and depending, it had a decision tree, like an answer tree. And depending on if you said yes or no or whatever, it would send you down a different path. And basically it always ended with telling him that he's a moron. <laughs> but it was like, I was like my way of teasing him. And it's kind of surprising I didn't go into computers with a beginning like that because I, the time frame that I grew up in, but I just ended up getting into business instead. But it's, it's when you mentioned that, it reminded me of, of my background. Yeah. Alan, when Upstream Coding started, you were offering your instruction in person. That was, you know, a particular part of your business because it was one of the things that set you apart, right? Because you were offering in-person instruction and a lot of the competition locally or just some of the competition throughout the United States, they have a lot of online courses. And that's one of the things that set you apart. But obviously with the pandemic and also with your changing business model, you've moved to you know, 100% virtual classes, I believe. Can you talk about how that change has gone with your company, how, how you've made that, that change? And what's the current delivery method for your instruction? Can you talk a little bit about how that model works? Is it membership-based, for example? Is it synchronous or asynchronous learning? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, when we first started off, we were pretty low-tech, and we were a hybrid of in-person and remote. Uh, learning. So our curriculum has always been on our application that we built from scratch, but we felt that the in-person element was crucial to differentiate us from the myriad of options across you know, the internet for, for learning to code, free ones all the way up to super expensive ones. So that hybrid has really served us well and allowed us to navigate the pandemic with ease, actually, I know it's it's really hurt a lot of people, and I don't I don't want to say the word ease and, and mitigate anyone's um, pain. But fortunately, we were able to go remote and continue operations and actually expand because maintaining an in person operation actually is kind of difficult, especially when you're bringing in tons of people, different walks of life, different nights, trying to make sure everyone's in the same place. People are different, asking tons of questions and. I've found that moving all online, I'm sure Sean can elaborate more on this, but because I'm not teaching uh, anymore, I, I did teach when we first started, but it's quite difficult to juggle the different questions in person and having this, having everything online has sort of even the playing field as far as I can tell from afar when I drop into classes to see how everything's going. And is the teaching live? Is it synchronous learning or is there some asynchronous learning where the student, the person is is doing some sort of program or some sort of testing or some sort of coding offline as well? Is it a combination of both? Yes. Yeah, so the, the material is online so people can move uh, you know, asynchronously through it as they, as they wish. So if you're, if you're more advanced and you're moving quicker, you can, you can do more things. If you need to go a little bit slower and you need a bit more handholding, that's fine too. And every Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday currently we have classes and those sessions are uh, synchronous 
and uh, Sean, Sean can definitely jump into how those different sessions go down and how we manage to keep people at different levels kind of moving through the same sort of uh, format. Sean, could you talk a little bit about that, what, what Alan just said in the sense of, is it a membership model? I believe that your model has changed a little bit over the, the last two years. Is it membership-based, for example? And do, can people sort of jump in at any point? Can they you know, learn as long as they need to learn to, until they master a skill? How has that entire process evolved uh, in, in the teaching from a teaching perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's really the major problem that we were, were trying to solve with courses that have a start, set, and end date. You, you leave people out. People, people miss out because they're, they're sick for a week and then they're behind for a week forever. Or people are, are their, their job picks up halfway in between the, this like, very expensive course that they paid for and then suddenly they're, they're behind. They're getting a bad educational experience. So we, we are a membership model. Uh, our members pay uh, a monthly fee, just like a gym membership. And then they can come to the gym as much as they want while they're a member, and they can stay a member of the gym as, as long as they want. We've created tracks uh, and, and different, uh, different courses for folks at different skill levels and to learn different technologies. Uh, so it's not, uh, it's not as if we have all of our members in a big room and we're talking about the same thing to all of them. But generally, yeah, we try and meet people where they are and allow them to set their own goals uh, realistically for what they can learn uh, in, a, in a given amount of time and then support them as they move towards that. Yeah, it seems like it makes a lot of sense because like you said, when you have a start and end date, if you miss just a little bit, which is going to happen because a lot of these folks are probably doing this in the evening on their own spare time. So the model you've evolved to really does fit into the world where, where most people really are with their lives and be able to jump in and out as they need to. One, one thing I'll add there is that it really builds upon the, the theory and concept of block scheduling, meaning at this point in time during the week, this is where you focus on learning web development. And then, you know, for the rest of the time, you're being a dad, you're being your profession, you're doing everything that, you know, you have to do. But during these set hours, you're there. And we found great success in that. Alan, your team is considering potentially using your platform and all of the things that you've built to be able to offer coding or instruction or courses through an educational institution. You know, have you... Uh, decided to do that yet? Is that something you're thinking about? And if you did do that, how would that work? So the thought came to us about a year ago and the pandemic has accelerated that thought and actually taken some major, major action. So about a year ago, I started refactoring the code so that we could onboard other organizations to leverage the tools that we built. And it was more of a side project while supporting upstream coding. And then once the pandemic hit, we had to go full, you know, full bore on it. And right now we are seeking new clients and working to onboard some, some new clients right now that are our major players in the Pittsburgh region. And we're very excited about it. Can't wait till we can, we can talk about it more publicly. But when we demo what we've built, it, it pretty much sells itself because no one has some of the chief differentiators that we have in our software. The main one, without talking too much about it, is the ability for a human to control the flow of, stu of students through the, the curriculum to ensure that people have mastered 
one skill before moving on. Sean, since Upstream Coding was founded in 2018, how has the coding landscape changed in the past two years? It's not been that long, but I know with technology, things tend to move a little faster than in other industries. Has it changed? And then specifically with respect to Pittsburgh, what are some of the options that customers or people who want to learn coding or programming, how have their options changed during that time frame as well? Do they have different things that they're looking at or different things that they need to weigh when they're selecting somebody to, to learn from? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the past couple of years, uh, we've seen a pretty profound change, probably not in the landscape of coding, in the landscape of, of folks looking for developer jobs. I think that's been pretty much the same. Obviously, technology's changed, but the idea of uh, where one looks for work, where, where uh, students are looking for jobs and the kind of work that they're doing hasn't really changed all that much. But the educational landscape absolutely has. Uh, I think we've seen a great deal of both uh, remote and in-person code schools that operate both nationally and in Pittsburgh, providing potential students with a lot of options. Uh, folks who want to learn to, to code have a great deal of options, depending on if they are, are looking for something free that they can do in their own time in between work shifts, or if they want to quit their job and spend three months uh, learning coding 40 hours a week and, and really everything uh, in between. Sure. The one thing I'll add there is that that in-between space that Sean just mentioned, that's really our lane. We really felt that not everybody can quit their job, right? And the free solutions, while great, are really only for a certain type of person, which are, they're super motivated, they're, they're, they know how to keep everything lean, and they don't need anyone to, to help them move forward. So we, we really fill that gap right in the middle, which is it's affordable, you have accountability at certain times of the week, but it is asynchronous so that you can move at your own pace so you don't get left behind. And it and it is a place, it's coming from a place of experience. I started out, one of my first jobs was in graphic design in Venice, California, and I was working for nothing. I just wanted the experience. And the coolest guy came into the shop and he was the engineer, right? He was the, the web developer for the, the, the design shop. And he like kept his own hours and he had like a cool computer and like everyone was like tiptoeing around him because they wanted to stay on his good side. So he'd get all the stuff done. I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta get into that. That looks so cool. And, um, I just, I just remember that the times in my life that I learned the most was working with another person one-on-one. -on -one. And that's that, that mentorship Sean mentioned, that's really what I wanted to push because I remember that guy taking me under his wing and showing me like, Hey, this is how you do it. Instead of me spending hours searching through the countless free material online, like how do you sift through that? How do you disseminate the most relevant, most valid data? Especially because like you said earlier, I mean, things that were published two years ago aren't necessarily relevant. So how do you, how do you make sure that you're learning the right stuff? Alan, one of the services that Upstream Coding is either offering or, or you've considered offering is the ability to vet and test potential job candidates. So people that are looking to apply to positions in various companies, various tech positions, and with all of your expertise at Upstream Coding and with your online platform, you have the ability to test these folks. Is this something that you've considered doing? Have you been doing it? And you know, is it potentially a growing part of your business? We have tried a number of different things. The vetting program we're excited about, we thought 
that it would gain traction quickly. And it has gained traction in a way that we didn't anticipate is the easiest way to put it in talking with one of the clients to have them potential clients to have them on board to use our platform. They saw that aspect, uh, the vetting aspect, and they wanted to incorporate that in a little, a slightly different way that we didn't actually anticipate. So right now we're working to incorporate that into the platform in the way that they, they need. And I would say that that has really been our story. Upstream coding goes about in the normal, normal business of teaching. And they say, hey, we really need this tool. And, enough, and they say it enough times and, and then we put it on the roadmap and, and, then we, and then we release it, you know, and we're finding that to be the same process in selling the platform now, which is, hey, this is great. If we just had this slight tweak, then we could, uh, you know, service our, our customers better. And so we're just really kind of just evolving, you know, as we need to. And my background is in software engineering on the product side. So it was a natural migration for me from starting it as, as teaching, which I do really enjoy. But I mean, Sean is amazing. And sometimes you have to make sure you play to your strengths. And, and that's, that's ultimately what I saw. I, was, I fit better on the, uh, the product side. Sean, does the demand for coding and web development and programming and different programming languages continue to grow overall as an industry? It seems like it, it, it's always going to continue to grow because technology is the future, but just what trends have you seen happening on that front? And then also, do you know what types of jobs people tend to get in the Pittsburgh area that, that are going through your program, that are learning from you specifically? Have you talked to anyone to see what types of jobs they're getting and are any of them in, in Pittsburgh? What's the, the status of the Pittsburgh tech scene? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the tech sector is growing nationally, internationally. I, you don't have to look very far to, to see that. But in Pittsburgh specifically, there are many, many companies of all different sizes who are expanding what they do technologically, starting to, to do uh, tech stuff. And there are existing national tech companies that are moving into Pittsburgh because we've got so many world-class universities and world-class talent. I try and stay in touch with my former students through uh, from upstream and from, from Pitt, trying to see what, uh, what kind of things they're doing. And a lot of my former upstream students who have uh, taken a, a course, been members, and, and gone through the job search have gotten jobs uh, working in uh, healthcare-adjacent technology. A number of uh, my former students have gotten jobs doing uh, essentially web development for healthcare situations. A lot of folks are doing marketing, design, creative web technologies and stuff. Although I will say a good deal of our members are already employed doing technologically adjacent things, and they simply want to add skills. A, a really wonderful student of mine, Brooke, actually just last week got a full-time offer doing web development. She works for in marketing for uh, an education company, doing uh, email marketing and that sort of thing. Uh, and she's been able to apply her web development skills that she learned with, uh, with Upstream. She went from a contract worker to a full-time offer. Alan, how has Upstream Coding grown over the past two years? Obviously, it's changed. We know that. We talked about how your business model has changed. But in which ways has it grown? Do you have more instructors than you did when you started? You probably do. I know that, uh, that Sean was your first instructor. Do you have other instructors? Are you bringing more customers 
or people through your system? And in what ways have you grown? It's it's been growing at a really good pace. I've been a part of a number of startups and at first I wasn't accustomed to the pace we were growing. It was growing a little bit slower, but our other co-founder, Josh Studel, he reminded me that you know, right now we have the luxury to move a little bit slower and to embrace it versus trying to force it. So we have, I believe at given times had, in addition to Sean, two additional instructors that has fluctuated basically on need. And our platform really allows for substitutes or TAs or additional instructors to be onboarded with ease. That's one of the the main benefits because there's all kinds of lesson plans and notes uh, on the various challenges and stuff. So you don't necessarily need to know exactly where every student is in order to properly help them and, 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 and deliver the education. So it, it, it fluctuates. And I think, I think we're growing at a good rate. Now it, it's a sustainable one. So I'm very excited as far as the product side, that's exploding right now. I mean, we've never been busier. We're, we're preparing for really big clients to start onboarding next month. And um, there's just a lot of different little features that need to be polished and, and added and stuff like that. So it, it's, it's a fun time. Alan, how has the pandemic affected your business? We talked already about going online with online courses. That's probably one of the biggest changes. I think you said it accelerated some of your thinking with some other aspects of your business. And in which other ways that we haven't talked about, has it affected you or the industry? Or are you somewhat unaffected because you're able to, you know, as a tech company, you are well positioned to go online and to be able to do some things that that other companies and other industries just can't do. So how has it overall just affected whether it's the morale of, of, your, of your team or the customers that are coming through? Are they concerned about being able to get jobs, for example? What's, in what sorts of ways have you adapted or do you think through this current time that we're in? The biggest change is, and one that I know is bugging Sean quite a bit, is that we've lost that in-person element. And that's really been our chief differentiator. So on the upstream coding Pittsburgh side, Sean is, you know, really wanting to get back in person. And I do too. I just, I don't know when that is. And Mm -hmm. we get, we get inquiries all the time about, are you going back to real classes? You know, when you can, and the answer is yes, but there's no timeline because it keeps shifting. The, 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 the finish line for the pandemic keeps shifting and we have no control over it. So we're really trying to focus on the things we can control as far as the platform that that's called turbine that was well positioned because they're, it, we, were, we were already in motion to switch to that model of software as a service or SaaS. And the pandemic just really hammered home that we had to, had to get moving faster on it. And there's a lot of organizations that for their entire existence have been about in-person education. And they're having to rethink that. And what happened was when the pandemic hit, everyone rushed to virtual meeting tools to try to fill that void. And Josh, who I mentioned earlier, he came to me and was like, we're missing our moment. This is our moment. We have to, we have to move faster, right? And um, he was right and a little bit wrong in the sense that everyone, after everyone rushed to those virtual meeting tools, they realized, hey, these actually aren't a substitution on how to deliver education. They deliver a very important aspect of education, right? It, it basically only substitutes the classroom portion. It doesn't 
how do you deliver the curriculum? How do you evaluate it? How do you maintain all that? How do you do a transfer from one instructor to another? How do students interact? How the list goes on. So, you know, it was actually interesting because we're now, when we talk to clients now for the platform, they, they just start listing their problems they're having with the video, these video meeting tools. And we always just say, you know, you know, we're agnostic to whatever technologies you want to use. They integrate with our platform and we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not, we're never going to make a video meeting tool, right? It's just, it's just one integration in what we're doing. We're focused more on providing a, a holistic uh, approach to, to education. And we've been using video meeting tools for our classes uh, since before the pandemic. We, we streamed our classes and screen shared our classes with students who preferred to join from home uh, since before all of this has happened. And obviously, we've moved entirely remote just because people's safety is, is obviously paramount. But it wasn't that much of a shift, honestly. Uh, I mean, I, I will say, personally, I love being able to be in a room with someone and whiteboard something out and, and, and talk about that uh, in person. But it has not been a significant change in the way that we interact with our students and the way that our community is structured, because folks are still meeting for two hours a week on the same day of the same week, and they still have that platform that they can log on to at any point that provides them the, the material and the more holistic, asynchronous side of the education. One additional thing I'd like to, to mention here is that we did try a number of ways to help people during the pandemic in regards to offering uh, an extended free trial, et cetera. And the conclusion we came to was it's the correct intention, but we didn't go far enough. And starting very shortly, we're going to allow our starter membership to be free. So anyone who wants to learn to code can come. There's no trial. It's just free. There are some limitations on it so that we make sure our, our instructors and our other resources aren't strained. But if you're motivated, our starter membership will be the place that anyone can come and attend classes and take that information and and go off and use other resources to, to to educate themselves. If they decide that they want more, then they can, you know, obviously upgrade to to, to our premium or pro uh, membership levels. This last question, as we wrap up, is for both of you, Sean. I'll start with you first. Can you share some thoughts for other entrepreneurs who maybe want to start businesses of their own? They haven't started yet, or maybe they they have just started a business. Maybe they're in a co-founding partnership like you are. Maybe they're in technology, but maybe not. Maybe they're in a completely different industry. What thoughts or ideas would you share with, with them? You know, what things have you learned being part of a founding team of a business? I think first and foremost, it is important to find experienced folks to work with. I am not naturally given to the, the, the business side of things. It's something that I respect a great deal, but it's not something that, uh, that comes easily to me. And were I, did I, if I wanted to do something like this uh, on my own, I would have been completely lost uh, without the profound support of, of Josh uh, on the marketing and development side and Alan on the, the, the product side, both people who are, are uh, older and, and more experienced than I am and who have been incredible personal and and uh, business mentors throughout this process. Alan? I hold the same exact sentiments in regards to the education aspect. From the minute I met you, 
I realized that I, I, I didn't cut it as an instructor anymore. I, I wasn't doing enough for the current members, you know, and at that moment I, I knew that I needed to shift gears. So I would say that being flexible, open to evolving as the, as the facts change is a very important and very important lesson for any entrepreneur in any industry. Uh, the other is just a start. When you, when you start laying out criteria for the day that you will start, that is the day you'll fail or you'll never start. You, you have to begin, even if it's humble and it's not the entire idea, you just have to get going. Once you get going, you'll immediately realize, hey, my original idea actually wasn't going to happen like that. You know, we started with very humble, uh, humble means. I mean, we were, I was posting flyers around town in addition to the normal Google ads and stuff. And I was actually surprised when it worked. Some people like they like took a picture of the QR code or whatever we were doing, but there's a lot of traditional things you can do. There's so many tools out there to get started. And uh, I just feel fortunate that we started when we did because right now starting would be a little bit tougher. Alan and Sean, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Aaron. This is great. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com, thestartupshop.net, that's shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E, or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.